Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Daughters of Change podcast. And today I have in the studio Catherine Ann Wilson, also known as, by her husband, Charlie, the fire pisser. <laughs> she's, Charlie. She's wicked tall yeah. in so many ways. Yay, yeah, threw that I told you I would. She's wicked <laughs> tall in spirit and deed. And as you'll find out in a second when I read her bio and as we get into the interview, Catherine is amazing. She is an advocate for keeping our kids safe from sexual abuse. She's an advocate um, against sex trafficking, and she is on an incredible journey right now that's Mm -hmm. just accelerated. And it's a pleasure because I've had the opportunity to see some of this unfold. Mm -hmm. So with no further ado, um, I am going to first welcome Catherine. Catherine, welcome. Mm, It's a pleasure to be here, always to be in your presence. Oh, back at you, girl. We're like a mutual admiration society, but really, we are simpatico. We've, we really are. We really are. Yeah. There was a reason that the two of us connected when we of did. Of course, yeah. So I'm going to just take a minute and read your short yet impressive bio. With, the, with those impressive glasses. That that's right. I'm wearing those. my dollar store glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Daughters of Change podcast. I'm your host, Marie Sola. Each week, we'll be bringing you stories from around the globe of the women and girls who are changing the world, each in their own unique way. Abused repeatedly from first grade on for nearly 20 years of her life, Catherine Ann Wilson spent most of her years from age 12 through 17 living on the street. By age 15, starving and desperate, she was lured into sex trafficking, taken in and held against her will by a local pimp. After her escape at age 17, she spent the next 20 years tenaciously seeking various forms of therapy to recover from this trauma. Slowly, tenaciously, she made her way up the ranks to becoming a national sales manager, earning a six-figure income based on 100% commission. At age 40, she purchased her Dream Lake House in Maine. After finding her own freedom from suffering, Catherine realized that the sexual abuse and sex trafficking that had claimed her life as a defenseless child was unbelievably still going on, Mm. destroying the lives of thousands of children in Maine and other parts of the world today. She founded Stop Trafficking Me, that's a capital M-E for Maine, now known as Stop Trafficking Us, which is a capital U-S for the United States, with the goal of stopping grown-ups from sexually exploiting children. Via public and private speaking engagements, social media, TV, radio, and print, Stop Trafficking Us works to prevent child abuse, educating the community on the life cycle of abuse and the horrific domino effect that occurs after a child has been sexually abused in any way. Catherine was named one of Maine's 2019 Outstanding Women and was invited by the White House to participate as a survivor representative in its Human Trafficking Roundtable. You can find out more information at stoptraffickingus.org, We will get into more of that uh, later in the show, and we'll make sure that all of the different ways that you can learn about Catherine and connect with her are in our show notes. So Catherine, that's a 
short in terms of verbiage, <laughs> but a very long and powerful, powerful resume. And as I mentioned before, you know, I connected with you early on and I had the, I've had the the pleasure of of seeing you just grow these wings and fly. And, you know, we, we know a lot about your background from the bio. Before we get into sort of the nitty gritty here, what was that, that impetus? What was that moment as you're, you know, you've put your life back together, you're professionally, you know, you're really doing really well, you're married to a great guy and you decide, okay, I'm leaving this behind and now I need to go out and be an advocate. What was the impetus for that? Well, I wasn't thinking advocate. I just wanted to give back to the community. Um, I moved here from Kansas. You know, I did um, Maine, Florida, you know, Maine, Florida as a child, settled down in Kansas and, and married and had my children, got divorced. It was a, a dream of mine, had the vision board with the cutting out the pictures and, you know, all that stuff really manifesting. I want to live back in Maine again, you know, year round. And at 40, as you said, I, I was doing really well with my career. I had the money and I moved back to Maine. It was like, yay. And shortly after that, I met my husband and around, you know, 47 years old, I guess, I, I, I started the perimenopause. When perimenopause happens, it's not just a, you know, a physical bio, biological thing happening, but you also start thinking about life and legacy and giving back and you know, all this stuff starts happening. Like what's the meaning of life and, and how can I be of service in this life? And I had done tons of volunteer work in Kansas, but not a lot in Maine. And my uh, doctor at the time, she was a nurse practitioner, Marcel uh, Pick, I think that that's the right name with um, Women to Women, said, you know, you ought to consider working with children. The younger the children are, the more of an impact you can have on them. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want anything to do with children. Been <laughs> 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 there, done that, brought them right? up. Right? Yeah, I have. You know, I didn't really get to have a childhood. I really don't understand normal kids. And then she said, well, I want you to talk to a friend of mine who works with kids in jail. And, and so I said, you know, I, I trusted her and believed in her and said, okay, I'll meet the woman. And she told me that there's just one jail for children in the state of Maine for boys and girls, Long Creek Youth Development Center. And she told me about what, what their life was like and that I should, you know, I should go there. So I was really a against it, but willing to follow the women who I respected. So I went, I filled out the background information, stuff that you have to do before you go in. I met with a volunteer coordinator who wanted to, to know my life story, which really wasn't something that I told. Like I, it's not like I've been out about being sex trafficked all my life. In fact, the vast majority of my friends did not know. The only people who knew most of the story, not even all of the story, was a need-to-know basis. It was just, you know, who you're dating needs to know because you start screaming when you have a flashback and in terror, you know, it's kind of good for them to know why you jump five feet in the air when they come behind you or whatever. So um, they knew, uh, but I hadn't really told the story. And I did that in the volunteer coordinator's office. There's about, I don't know, maybe six of them. And they were crying 
And I didn't really understand why they were crying. And they asked me if I would do it again the next day. So they brought in another batch of people, including correctional officers, and again, crying. And I'm not sure what's going on, you know, but I'm just turning it over to my higher power and saying, okay, well, I'm just going to be really honest and open and figure out what this is all about. Come to find out, it was the happy ending. You know, the people who do service, who are the first responders, who do the service work, who are in the trenches, they don't get to see very many happy endings. They don't get to see very many happy endings at all. And the fact that I was there having gone through what I went through as a child and teenager, they were just thrilled to hear the happy ending. So then I actually went into jail to meet with the girls. I thought maybe, hey, if my purpose is just to give the volunteer coordinators and correctional officers that, then great. You know, I go into jail. I freak out. I can't handle it as I was fearing. Like, am I going to freak out when they shut the door? (laughs) Am I going to have a panic attack or something? Like they shut the door. Oh my God, let me out. You know, so um, I went in and I met the girls. And instead of it being awkward as I had feared or freaking me out in, in any way, I loved them. Like the person who was in charge of the girls unit, Beth Peavy, is a mama bear. Like you do not, you want her in the foxhole with you. She treated the girls on the girls unit as if they were her own. She loved them, disciplined them, brought in every sort of therapy uh, that possible for the girls. And she and I worked together, she picking the girls that she felt would really benefit the most from speaking with me. And I came once or twice a week for, you know, three hours or so at a time. If any of the girls needed time alone with me, then I would come in additional time. And we found the benefit of of meeting these girls where they were at as a survivor. They saw hope. They found hope in me. They disclosed things to me that they would not and weren't disclosing. Some of the girls disclosed stuff that, you know, they had been in jail for years and had never told anybody there the things that they told me. So I I learned that I, and I was blessed with being able to make the girls feel safe and that I could give them hope. I could inspire them to not let their past be their future. I also was astounded by the amount of sex trafficking. I didn't know what that word even meant, sex trafficking. Like this was new to me. I was a 15-year-old prostitute in my mind. I was a 15-year-old slave. I mean, this guy wouldn't let me leave, threatened to kill me, choked me to unconsciousness, you know, raped the, you know, unbelievable, uh, horrible things. But it wasn't called sex trafficking back when I was doing it. So I'm hearing this term. I'm meeting these girls. I'm having this experience with with the girls. And then I'm learning that one after another after another was engaged in some kind of sex trafficking. Sometimes by their parents, sometimes by their stepbrother, sometimes whatever. And I was like, this is insane. Like, does anybody know (laughs) this is happening? And so I started asking questions like, okay, do we have any 
sex trafficking groups in Maine? Are, are there advocates doing something? So I joined the York County Coalition Against Sex Trafficking, um, the Greater um, Portland um, Sex Trafficking. And, you know, I'm short, although, like you said, I'm tall in spirit. Yeah. Right? We're gonna, <laughs> indeed. We're going to go with that. Yeah, tall um, in spirit, right. indeed. A giant. Right. Uh, five feet tall. An Amazon you know, queen. I'm, I'm, you know, at the time I was perimenopausal and short. Though, you know, those you don't you don't want to mess with me, right? And um, I, so I joined these these groups, and I and I try, you know, trying just trying to get the lay of the land, like who's doing what, and what are all the different organizations? Like even that, you know, the learning curve on okay, so you've got the Department of Health and Human Services, okay, and what did they do? And then you have Mikasa. And they're not a service provider. They're more like an informational hub. And then you have what used to be in the 70s, the rape crisis centers who over time with different grants have morphed into domestic violence, rape crisis, and sex trafficking. Okay. And then they say they're in the schools, but there's a lot of schools, not very many programs. So can you really say that you're, quote, in the schools when you're there once every six months or once a year, trying to understand the languaging. And why are they saying that? Well, they're saying that because they can get grants if they say, just trying to like put it all together. And uh, right out of the gate, it was, I was not well received. So you mentioned that, and that's interesting. So I just, I just want to back up for one second. I want to come back to that just to point out that the the trajectory of your journey was something that you didn't really, it wasn't planned. It was, it was not planned. There was a seed that something that wanted to give back and you were brought on the path you're supposed to be on. Exactly. And, you know, telling your story and sharing your story. So this is something I did not know, Catherine, is that you had never shared your story I had prior never, to this. I had no, no. So I'm, I'm just touching on that because I feel like there are a lot of um, daughters of change out there listening that um, have perhaps gone through trauma in their own way and are trying to, you know, determine sharing their story can be both cathartic but helpful because, mm. you know, depending on if somebody's ready for it, but the the fact that people were telling, young women were telling you things that they weren't going to tell somebody else that they couldn't relate to. Yeah. And they, they didn't tell anybody else, yeah. you know, it, I mean, it's not like they didn't have the opportunity and the, the educated people there was just a bond from survivor yeah. to survivor, yeah. which was which was really cool. And then while while I was at Long Creek, and then uh, the time that I spent outside of Long Creek, joining these organizations and and trying to get educated on you know what was what, Christine Tebow from the Cumberland County District Attorney's Office was asked to speak at a panel when, when uh, Ruchira Gupta came mm -hmm. to visit. So the Cliff Note version on Ruchira is she worked with the Clintons who created the anti-trafficking bill, and I want to say 2002. So prior to 2002, there was no anti-sex trafficking anything. This is all really new mm -hmm. for the country and the world, and people are trying like crazy to catch up. You know, it's really so she had she said that Richera was coming to town and actually Kathy Lee from the Lee Automotive family 
um, Kathy Lee is an amazing uh, um, philanthropic person. Their whole family is here. And she had created, oh my gosh, I'm not going to say it right, the Women's Justice League. That sounds so Marvel Comics, but something, something like that. I'm not, I'm not saying it correctly. But, but they're anyway, heroes in their own, they're superheroes they, in their own way, they, are they, they not? They, yeah. Right, they totally are. And so uh, Kathy was working with Humane Law to bring in women from all over the world to our local women here in Maine to share the similarities and how we can support each other and sort of make that bridge. She brought in um, immigrant women. She brought in Ruchera to talk about sex trafficking. So she set up Ruchera to speak at the Wish Camper campus. That was a private um, uh, lecture with panelists, FBI, district attorney, myself, and Ruchera. We're speaking to about 100 law enforcement people. Then she also spoke at Colby College, and then she spoke um, one other place as well. So I was asked because Beth Peavy from Long Creek and Christine Tebow, who works with the juveniles, you know, knew me, had seen what I was doing with the girls there, and thought that I would be a good person to sit on this panel. So I... Uh, I was going to be outed not just with the correctional officers and the girls in Long Creek. Now they want, Channel 6 wants to do a news story on me, and I'm being asked to speak on this panel. So one of the things I did before I agreed to be interviewed by Channel 6 was I called the local sheriff's department, and I wanted to find out if my pimp was still alive is he in Maine? Is he in jail? Is he not in jail? Is he like wandering around? And I found out that he was alive and well and still living in in, in the same house. Oh, wow. So I was like, okay, well, I want you to know that if I die, he's probably a good suspect. <laughs> you know. And then I, I spoke with my husband and my family and my friends uh, like I said, the vast majority of my friends did not know my story, so I wasn't sure how they were going to feel. And, and it was a second marriage, and I didn't want to use my last, you know, my new last name because I didn't want to shame my husband's family or have his children be embarrassed. So there were a lot of considerations that needed to be uh, taken into account before I agreed. Yeah, absolutely. So I had all those conversations. I got a green light from not even a, a hesitation. Just everybody was hugely supportive, which I was, you know, kind of delighted by, I guess, because now I'm going to have to... Now you get, have to do it, right? I have to do it. Yeah, now, right? now the rubber's going to yeah. hit the road, girl. Right. And, <laughs> and so uh, Channel 6 came to Long Creek and they interviewed me there. And then they interviewed me and my lake house that I had bought. I I kind of think that Channel 6 wanted to actually see the lake house. Did she really? Did she really go from, you know, runaway prostitute to buying a lake house? Yep, come on over. Check it out. <laughs> sit, sit on the couch. So uh, so they went to both places and, and you know, wo wove that, uh, that video in the interview. And you can see that on my um, website if anybody wants to see it. Um, you can see the terror in my eyes when, when they were interviewing me. And then after that, I, I did the Ruchera thing. And right before that, that was my first not everybody's going to like you moment. Oh, right. When, when we were getting ready for that, there were lots of planners 
um, women in, in different positions who were organizing and wanted to meet with me and others to talk about strategy, how that event with Richera was going to go. And in those meetings, I got the mean girl treatment. Now, I haven't had the mean girl treatment since I was in junior high school, and it was the mean girl treatment. So I'm sitting, and and Christine is on the speakerphone, and I'm sitting in this uh, room, and I don't want to give too much information away because I just want to be considerate, right? Yeah. So um, I'm sitting in a room, and Christine's on speakerphone, and I, I actually said to one of the ladies there, I said, I want to make sure that I understand my role in this event properly. Uh, so there's the MC Ruchera, and then there's um, me and Christine and FBI. And I said, I- I'm getting the vibe that you want me to just really be seen and not heard. And she looked at me with like steely eyes and said, I think you understand our your position properly. Oh, so this goes back to what you were just saying that you weren't initially received. Oh, not and, and not even now. I mean, it's really interesting, you know. What do you what do you feel? So, first of all, I want you to talk a little bit about what that is, but what when you think about that, do you think it's that it makes people nervous? Like that could have like you represent something that could happen to them or their children or there, what? There's there's so many dynamics involved. Yeah. A, par- a part of it is um you know, my my physiology, you know, if I could have smoked a joint and drank a margarita when I was living through hell, I, I would have. It just didn't, it didn't affect me the same. So I'm living on the street. People are drinking, smoking pot, doing drugs. When I tried those things, they did not uh, physically affect me the same way. It made me feel worse and not better. And feeling worse wasn't something I was into. Made, you know, like like anything I did was a seriously bad trip, you know? So um, I just didn't use, you know, I just didn't do the drugs and alcohol. So I remember every horrific bad thing that's ever been done to me. And then after, when I was going through recovery, I could not tolerate anti-anxiety, anti-depression medications of any kind. So I had to white-knuckle, debilitating, horrific post-traumatic stress, night terrors, anxiety, panic. Just it was, um, it was a living hell for me. I wish to die every day. Um, that's another story. So um, for me, uh, you know, meditation, lots of different kinds of therapy, including working out. I'm telling you this for a reason. So... I started running. I started, you know, training, working out. I've done a couple of marathons. I've done a few triathlons. And then later, I was doing a bodybuilding competitions. And really, the only reason I just tried it once just to like see. And then I kept doing it because of the camaraderie. Like the women were so nice to each other. The men weren't hitting on you and the women were kind to each other. I was like, well, that's something new and different. I loved that. So I did more. So I would, when I would do a show, I would put my pictures on Facebook of me in the bikini with the, with my other competitors, not as a uh, you know pornography thing, not nothing sexual about it at all. If I was a volleyball person, I would have been in a similar outfit if I was competitive swimming. 
It would have been a one piece, but still, right? And uh, when I was entering into advocacy work against sex trafficking and child sexual abuse prevention, some of the people saw those pictures and they were like, oh, honey, uh, who do you think you are? You need to, you can't do both. And that you're setting a bad example. And I'm thinking, do you know how much therapy it took for me to get comfortable in my own skin? This is a big deal to me. This is me owning my own body. And, and I see myself as an athlete. Other athletes are treating me like an athlete. But my uh, people in the community, some of the people in the community were looking, they were looking at it as it was me sexualizing something. And I had somebody in the governmental position take me out for coffee and say, hey, uh, I want you to take down all those pictures and I don't want you to, and gave me a whole list of rules. Not a good idea. Again, remember, I'm perimenopausal at the time. <laughs> Does that person still have yeah. a head? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, did you, did you rip their head off? Uh, no, I but didn't. But I remember no, when no, this I didn't. was going on, No, Catherine. I didn't. And yeah. so what I, what I said was, and this was a growing thing for me too, I had to learn to say this. And here's what, what I was coached to say, and, and I loved it. So she's giving me the list of rules of what I'm allowed to do. Now, I don't work for her. I'm not getting any financial. This isn't my boss. This isn't anybody. This is just a governmental person, and she's laying down the law if I'm going to fit in to the new world of advocacies here in Maine. I said, I really appreciate you sharing, and I will take into consideration everything that you've told me. Beautiful. She did not like that answer. It's a beautiful answer. I love that answer. I do too. And so that I, and she would, you know, come a little harder. Maybe you don't understand. I do. I, I really, I, you've explained it beautifully. Thank you. I, I think I fully, and then I would say, repeat back to her what she said, like you do in marriage counseling. <laughs> of course, of course, that marriage didn't work, but, but there you, you go. But it worked for this. Right. And you, so you I said, no, I, I understand that you're saying, you're saying this. And she looked at me like, yeah, you and I will take that into consideration. And then I didn't remove anything, you know, and said, hey, this is, um, this is my sport. I'm really proud of it. This organization has taken me under their wings and I'm proud to be an athlete. And that's what I am. So um, I think that was a part of the pushback. Um, I, I think um, different, you know, I, I, I'm not beyond wearing a, a pink tutu, and <laughs> and she I, wears it well. <laughs> and, you know, I have I have a red superhero cape of love that when I that went with me to the White House. Yeah. It was in one of my friends made me a superhero cape of love, and I put it in my purse and I took it. And I have magic rocks that I have that I put out on a full moon and and I give to people. Actually, I gave Senator Collins one of my magic Sebago. I live on Sebago Lake. There's these rocks that are just beautiful and they just remind me of the starfish story that it just takes one. And I want people to hold that rock in their hand and just know that you just need to make a difference in one person's life. So I give people rocks. That's kind of weird. Well, you know, it's I walked in a bit of a different yeah. I but just, that's okay, Catherine, because it gets people to stand up and listen. And and 
when I remember when you were going through that. And and may I just add that Catherine was like winning in the bodybuilding at 50. Yeah. Okay, we're not that to me would the message there to me was so positive and amazing and the message that I instinctually felt Catherine feels like she owns her own body now. That and was, so that to was, me, it felt like you had worked through something huge by being able to do that. And, I really did. And, you know, people still, well-meaning, not well-meaning, want to still put women in boxes in a lot of different right. ways. My guess is, just throwing it out there, if you were a man doing bodybuilding, you probably would not have had the same backlash. Right. And and again, I don't want to get into us against them. It's just, it's, it's just what is. it is. Yeah. And... So all that happened. Yeah. However, let's talk about the trajectory things are taking now because you stuck, you stayed true to yourself. I did. You've stayed your path. And and if you don't mind, I'd like to hit upon some of these achievements that have just happened in like the past six months, for heaven's sakes. Um, first of all, you had the Keeping Maine Children Safe Conference. That, and that, that, that was amazing. And I would so that happened back in September, correct? Yeah. Or was it October? September, September mid September. Mid September. So before we get into the other strides that came right on the heels of that, I know that you had a huge community collaboration that you spearheaded with sponsors and lawmakers and you brought in a very um well-known speaker on the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, Victor Veith. Yeah, Victor Veith. So Tell us a little bit about that conference, what it was that you did, because it was free, and mm-hmm. you also offered CEUs and mm-hmm. educational credits. Mm-hmm. So over 80 law enforcement officers in Maine were mm-hmm. educated at that conference, mm-hmm. which is huge. Talk a little bit about putting that together and what the end result was. And then I want to get into a couple other things that happened right on the heels of yeah. that. So so, um, so I, the nonprofit is five years old now. And so I had that experience early on, and what I did was I I just took it upon myself to educate people. I believe in human beings. I believe in the people in Maine. And what I believed to be true was that they just didn't understand what the word sex trafficking even meant. They didn't understand the cause and effect. If we look at the social ills in our community, kids dropping out of school, kids incarcerated, addictions, bullying— a high suicide rate, sex trafficking, the sexual exploitation of kids, um, pornography, all these things. When we look at all of those things, we think of them as individual. Mm-hmm. When really, the, when we follow each one of those things down to their genesis, where they started from, 89% of all of those different issues, the, the people who are suffering from all those different issues were sexually abused as a kid. So it was like, I believe that if the people in Maine only knew what sex trafficking is, where it came from, how the whole thing stems back from the abuse and neglect of our children, they will rally. So all I got to do is educate the 1.3 million people in the state of Maine. Okay, let's do this. You know, so Rotary was amazing. Um, Churches, organizations, women's groups, business groups, all over. I spoke to thousands of people and I I kept, um, the constant question was, how can I reach more? How can I do better? So I collaborated with Deering High School 
and where a, a bunch of kids put on a performance around what sex trafficking is, followed by a panel discussion, thinking that every high school in the state of Maine would follow suit. That didn't work. That was a huge success covered by all the all the local news stations. We had over 100 people showed up, but it didn't... Um, it didn't catch fire like I had hoped it would. Mm-hmm. All right, what else can we do? I would get asked to speak as a individual speaker, like Knights of Columbus, for instance, and the Eskimo Club, and International Women's Club. Quickly, I learned that if I got asked to be a speaker, I would say, hey, I want to make you look like a rock star in your organization. Let's open up to invite the spouses of the people and your commu- your surrounding community and what other affiliations you have, let me bring my dream team. Jonathan Sarbeck is the Cumberland County District Attorney. Um, he came to anything and everything I asked him to. Our uh, Peter DiMaggio, the Homeland Security Victims Assistant Agent for all of New England, he would come. Jennifer Wiesner, healthy sexuality, helping people understand about children. So I would have my little dream team, and we would speak for the military, would speak to Rotary, would speak wherever. And then I said, okay, um, most conferences are vocationally focused. So all the doctors will have their annual conference. First responders have their annual conference. Social workers have their annual conference. I'm like, you know, you're preaching to the choir at these conferences. We need to have a conference for our community. And Christine Tebow from um, the assistant DA for Cumberland County working with juveniles said, you know what, Catherine? Victor Veith is the best speaker I have ever heard in all my years in service. So I called Victor a year ago and I said, hey, I'm one person uh, really, one person, <laughs> you know, and no money, what, right? Uh, what can I do? He said, well, he said, when's the best time? He's in Minnesota. When's the best time to come in Maine? I'm like, September, man. September's the best time of year to be here. So we set the date, and he said, Catherine, this should really be a three-day faith-based conference. And I'm thinking, I'm a spiritual mutt. Um, uh, <laughs> I like that, I, a spiritual mutt. I'm That's, a spiritual mutt. I think mutt. a lot of people are nowadays. Well, and I'm thinking, you know, how am I going to get people to come? Well, he wanted me to do a faith-based conference because the faith-based organizations are where the predator offenders are flocking to because it's low-hanging fruit. They have They can get access to a whole group of kids right there. So that's why he wanted to do that. That's scary. And so, you know, the deal with conferences is they're usually out of the state, they're usually really expensive, and they're usually during the week. So I'm like, let's do Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Thursday, we can educate law enforcement, whatever. Saturday, it'll be families. Um, and let's, let's uh, what would be an incentive to bring them in? CEUs. Every uh, first so a responder CEO for people that don't know what that is a is. continuing education credit. Okay. So if you're a therapist, if you're a firefighter, if you're a lawyer, you have to take so many classes that offer these continuing education credits in order to keep your license. Okay. It's a different thing for military. So the um, the victims uh, assault sexual assault um, leaders within the military they have a different kind of credit. Lawyers have a different kind of credit that they get, but Ingrid Petty on my board, she uh, worked it out with um, the University of New England. Our military folks, Kartika, was like all over 
the military to get the credits there. UMaine Law also offered credits. So now we just needed to try to try to create collaboration instead of competition among mm-hmm. the advocacies. So we went out saying, hey, do you guys want to participate with us? So we, uh, the Maine Child Advocacy Centers, Children's Trust, for example, Maine Resilience Building Network, all collaborated with us. 19 Oaks Marketing was hugely beneficial. Meg Hatch, by the way, from Child Advocacy Centers, huge help. Shea Bella's huge help. Heather Burke, a huge help. Ingrid Petty, huge help. And so we were just this little handful of people. Uh, Clark's Insurance gave us uh, a nice donation. Moody's Collision, Akari Beauty in Portland, Portland Pump Company, they gave us donations. And slowly, oh, and JAG gave us a $5,000. It's um, a juvenile assistant fund, uh, gave us $5,000. Um, so we raised the $25,000. The First Baptist Church in Portland gave us the venue. Um, we hired Gina and the Red Eye Flight Crew for a Friday night band. We had food trucks. And it was um, it was just, uh, people said it was the best conference they had ever been to. And it was free. It was free. It was free. Our, it That's was free. huge. And so, that right and there so is were huge. The CE, and so were the CEUs. So I wanted to just once, just like show them what can be done mm-hmm. when we all pull together and make and make this happen. So it, we had D. Clark as one of the speakers, Victor Veith and Pete Singer. We had uh, Bill Legier from Lewiston who spoke. Uh, we had somebody from the uh, Maine Children's Trust speak. So it was really a huge success, and I'm very proud of that. So um, will I ever do a three-day conference again? No. Well, but you set you set the bar. I mean, you set a totally precedent. And you also it. put, a, if you will, a business, a model, a yeah. model of what can be done. Not necessarily a- absolutely. Like, yeah. And if there wasn't- What is a business model? So, you know, I'm a little tiny nonprofit. You know, I am, I am seriously- You're I am, a tall nonprofit. I am, I'm one, <laughs> one person right. with a board who does this amazing admin stuff, which is they're, they're could not do this without them. My husband has been the bank for uh, Stop Trafficking US. I'm so little, I'm not getting funding. I did apply for a $10,000 grant through one of the organizations that I won't say the name of in Maine, and they denied me the money because they said they believed that education would not stop a predator from sexually abusing a kid. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the level of ignorance we have here. We have got to like get this conference going. We've got to educate our people here. And by the way, David Finkelhor out of the University of New Hampshire is a world-known researcher. If you take any sort of class on perversion, you know, um, abuse, he, you're going to read his mm-hmm. his research. He's a, and right here in, in the University of New Hampshire, when he found out that I was denied that grant because of they didn't believe in education. I was doing an interview of him for something else, and he gave me a three-minute soundbite on his own. To just went into this whole little talk on how important education is really in nice. the world of prevention. Really I'm nice. like, let us snip that out and put that on my website. Not as a na-na-na-na-na, but just like, come on. People need to understand they this. They need to understand that it's not a. I mean, this is essential. Prevention is essential. 
So the education is absolutely really vital. Yeah, it is vital. And and again, you know, if you go to what you found early on, if you followed this chain down, absolutely. it all starts with early childhood absolutely. abuse. And how and I find it with a lot of issues, um, the funding isn't typically always there for awareness. It's right. there for the other things, you know. And so to have people like you on the ground that not only have the passion to do this and the tenacity to make it happen, but you come from it from a standpoint of having lived it. Right. And I think that there's something that, you know, there's something that that people that have been through something that are then going back to advocate for that very something, there's something that they bring to the table that nobody else can bring to the table. And right. I- I really feel like people should stop and listen. The the White House really thinks listen. so. Before we talk about the White House, I would like to also bring up the fact because we're talking about this this trajectory that you're on that's just like the snowball is going. So you have this really successful conference, then you find out that you're you've been chosen as one of the 20 outstanding women in Maine by the Portland Radio Group, which is if not the biggest, one of the biggest radio groups in the state. So you found that out. You had you had a sash and everything. I've seen the photos, <laughs> right? So one of Maine's 20 outstanding women. So think about that from being not, you know, from having people tell you to just be seen and not heard. Well, hello, guess what? She's being seen and heard. So that must have felt wonderful. It was weird. It it felt really awkward. And I it think it did really I think, interesting. I think, I think the rest. It it was a weird um, mental thing that happened when I found out that I was one of the twenty women. I was so excited to have the opportunity to promote the conference, and when I found out that we weren't going to be doing the live interviews and all that until after the conference, I I didn't want anything to do with it um, because I don't want attention on me. I want anything that I do, I wanted it to be an opportunity to educate people. And I thought, well, how, you know, how am I going to, you know, be of, of service? How can I, I don't want the, I don't want yay, Catherine. So that was a little bump that I had to get over. And then it was like, okay, this is the Portland radio group. I love Eva. Blake is just an amazing guy. The Portland radio group does so much for our community you just put your little attitude away, put your, you know, put your sparkly shoes on, which I did. Of course you did. And and let's put on something hot pink and go. Yeah. Well, you know, but you are doing something, Catherine, because what you're doing, just like being here on this podcast today, is showing other people, other women and other people what somebody can do as one person if they really want to. And it's it's actually there's a role model aspect there that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you know, for Daughters of Change, that's one of the reasons I do this because I want to be able to tell the stories of women and girls like you who are making change in the world that other women can relate to and say, and other people, you know, other men too, that's my daughter, that's my wife, that's me, that's my, that's my sister. Yeah. Uh, That helps to inspire other people to do something. So never- I I was inspired by the women that were there. That's right. Like we all sort of felt that way when we were all like on the stage. It's important. Somebody said- I feel really awkward. And somebody, yeah, I feel really awkward. And so we all sort of felt the same way. We we are the givers in our community, and we didn't want the light shown on us. 
it was really a beautiful thing. And what we how what we did with it was we um, networked and we learned yeah. about each other and what each other was doing, and that helped us deal with the spotlight on us. But it was of interest, and I'm just you know telling you the truth. You know, we were all sort of not wanting the spotlight on us, and I found that really interesting. It also made me think about women in general, how we don't celebrate ourselves. And that really, I mean, that was really uh, stuck out for me. Like somebody said, don't you celebrate? Like, did I celebrate the success of the conference? No. Did I celebrate the 20 women who care? No. Did I celebrate? I'm on the next thing. And so moving into 2020, I wrote this down and I actually reached out to my girlfriends and said, look, I can't do this just for me, but could we get together and have on Soul Sundays? Can we can we like get together and celebrate whatever the successes mm-hmm. are? And there's this comparison like, well, I can't say that I went to the White House. And even with the abuse and the advocacy work, um, survivors, well, I only had this bad thing. I only was raped once and you were raped 10 times. It's like, no, stop the comparison. Yeah. You know, we all... And let's celebrate the tiniest little thing. You know, I didn't kick the dog today. So what? Yay. You it, know, you're celebrate. Exactly. And it's two things that actually tie in. If you read um, about even women in business, it's imposter syndrome. Like, you know, right? I'm not. Exactly. I'm not worthy to I be think here. I Who do I think I am? And I'm not wanting to to promote yourself. And, and I don't mean that in a self-serving way, but not wanting to put yourself out front. Right. Because... You just don't do that, right? So I've and I I have had to come to terms with that. Doing the podcast, getting on a Facebook Live, yeah. Even though I'm talking to somebody else, I mean, I know I should be on doing more of my own, just me on there. I I've been having that that come to Jesus with myself about Marie. It's okay, you know. So I I'm glad you brought that up because I think that there it's are probably yeah, it's totally a thing. And yeah. I bet there's a lot of women out there listening that actually feel that same way. So it's I think it's important for others to understand that when they hear the story of somebody who's done everything that you've done that you've had some of those experiences oh well. Oh my gosh, all you know, and all you the, felt all that vulnerability, right? Ab- we absolutely. all Absolutely. I all felt do. that going to the White House. So let's talk about the White House now because on the heels of that and then I want to get into a couple other things but yeah. I, we cannot we cannot get out of this podcast without discussing the fact that my friend Catherine was invited to the White House. Yeah. So shortly as you're coming out of the keels, so this is boom, the conference, huge success, right. boom, 20 outstanding women in Maine, boom, all of a sudden one day you're on I, a drive with your husband no, and you get no, an email. No, husband. So uh, we- Oh, he wasn't in the car with you? No. So okay. um, uh, we were supposed to go to camp and Charlie's all excited about going to camp on Thursday night. We're going to leave Friday morning. I packed everything up Thursday night. We wake up Friday morning and he's like, I got work to do. I can't go. And normally I would have been just the subservient woman and said, I'll stay home with the weekend with my husband and serve my family. (laughs) And then I was like, you know what? I was really looking forward to going to camp. I'll figure out how to turn the propane. Camp is no electricity. It's propane. It's, you know, pee outside. You know, it's camp. It's camp, damn it. And I'm like, I am going. I think I freaked my husband out, you know, and he didn't, was he going to say no? Like, sorry, don't don't mess with me. I'm going to camp. Bye. And I'm driving to camp, and I met with a, a girlfriend who just recently lost a, an adult son to a drug overdose. 
if Charlie would have been with me, I wouldn't have had that time with her. So I got to have I got to have time with her and people who are grieving just need to be listened to. Yeah. So I was able to to listen and then I just I knew that I wasn't going to have service when I got to camp. So I was just checking my smartphone, emails, uh, Facebook, you know, looking around. And then I see this thing from the White House, this uh, email from the White House. And I'm like, what? And it said, you know, please give us a call at your earliest convenience. I'm like, what? Did you think it was spam at first or something? Of course I did. Like, who got the who got this clever email address? Right? <laughs> I was like, okay, her name is Giovanna and it's and it says .gov. So there was a phone number on there and I'm like, okay, I'm going to call it. So I call her and she's like, yeah, we got your name from Victor Veith, right? The guy from the from conference. The conference. So here very, we go. Very yeah, well known and respected. Happen. It mm-hmm. is there, you know, there are no accidents in life. And so um, she said we would, uh, we're doing a, uh, a meeting on sex trafficking and we would respectfully ask that you would come and be a part of this meeting let us know what you're seeing in the world of sex trafficking and bring concrete ideas with you on what you think the federal government can and should do uh, on sex trafficking and on prevention. And we will be following up with another email to give you more information, but it's October 30th at one o'clock. So it was like right around the corner, actually, from like, when it was, it was two like weeks week away. A, right? Yes. I mean, it was really like you got that email yes. because I remember seeing, sharing yes. your video. Yes. And then it, then the next Concrete thing I know. Concrete ideas. Oh my gosh, I need to turn my car yeah. around and go home and get busy. Yeah. But I didn't. Good. I, you I took your I time. Stop. And I wanted to like let everybody know. So I did a Facebook Live that I totally am like blubbering on. <laughs> the White House just called. <laughs> right? I'm so grateful. And then uh, then then my husband calls me who says he doesn't pay attention to Facebook, right? It's a, it's just for women. It's just older women, right? He sees it, yeah. immediately calls me. Yes, I should have called my husband first, but I didn't. Anyway, so uh, he called me. And we're like jumping up and down in our own way. And then I go to camp. Good. And I spend my two days in camp and I meditate and um, spend a lot of time in prayer and just please God use me as, you know, thank you for for this opportunity. And how can I be of service? Please remove, dissolve with grace and ease anything in me that will prevent me from being my highest and best during this opportunity. Please, 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 please. And um, went to camp and was there for a couple of days and and came back down and met with my board and said, okay, here are my concrete ideas, what I think um, I want to present to the White House. And then we had, so then Charlie went with me to, Charlie doesn't usually go, my husband doesn't normally go with me to any of my sex trafficking, child sexual abuse prevention, anything, because he cries. He's this manly, manly guy, and he'll tell you that it's allergies. (laughs) 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 The tears are going down, right? And so, um, and that was a total God job because somebody else was supposed to go and there was a conflict, so Charlie came with me, and he didn't go into the White House with me. He, he was afraid that, like church, it would like, explode if he walked in or yeah. something. <laughs> so he he stayed at the hotel, but he was profoundly changed by by this. He's been hugely supportive this entire time, and we're talking a lot of money. You know, the mm-hmm. non the the lawyers for the nonprofit. Every, I don't get paid to speak 
I will in 2020. Can I get an amen? But so far, um, how I've been about this is so passionate. It's like, I'm not going to to charge this, you know, the school of the Atlantic or what I'm going to like, just, you know, whatever go. And so I have spoken for five years, thousands of uh, people. And not just in Maine, all over the country because you've gone over. I've gone all over. Yeah. And Charlie pays for the flight. And all on your own dime. All on my own dime. Uh, Or Charlie and yours dime. Well, yeah. Well, it's your dime though because you're married. We're married. But I mean, he's, he has quietly paid for, you know, if there's a hotel, if there's a flight, whatever it is. He has covered that. I think we've, you know, we've we've gotten a little bit of money, but mm-hmm. certainly no not, grants not compared to what you've been putting out of pocket. Right. So you know, tens of thousands of dollars, and we got one check from a, an advocacy that was uh, closing. Stop. You know, they were ending their advocacy. We got like seventeen thousand dollars once. Besides that, it's a little old lady handwriting, very squiggly with a $10 bill. You know, I keep doing God's work, dear. That's you know? so sweet, right? I kept the envelope. I'm and that like, actually, the, when that comes at Heart Center must right? be phenomenal. Oh my gosh. You don't yeah. want to like deposit the yeah. money because you just want to like give it back to her. God bless you, you know. <laughs> so, uh, so he came with me on this. And so he's, you know, he's at the hotel lobby with the um, senators and congressmen. And, and he actually... You know, they said, "What? Are, you know, why are you here? You know, because he's dressed in Mainer clothes and they're in suits and you know the ties and and the um and he would say, my wife is, is was invited to the White House to talk about sex trafficking, and the response from the other manly you know manly men was just it melted him. Yeah, they bet. were they were just like, God bless your wife, thank you for what you're doing, and he was like, yeah. That's how I roll. Yeah. Oh you know? yeah. Uh-huh. I picked. Her. I picked me a good one. Yeah. yeah. So that that was really uh, that was really cool. And then uh, the White House experience was was phenomenal. Getting inside the White House is um, crazy. Yeah, I the bet. security is is cr- is crazy. There's you know a, a line of you know, 28-year-olds with machine guns and and everything has to be- You're like, be, this, this, shit's, this shit's getting real, this, she said this when is, she walked in, right? right? This, is getting, this is getting real. And, you know, first that morning, the 30th, I met with um, Senator Collins first at, at her, um, her office in Washington, D.C. And that was amazing. Uh, and she's our senator from Maine. She's our for senator, that yeah. And, and wow, she- she was different than how she seems on the commercials. She was just petite and feminine and engaging and intelligent and soft-spoken and kind. She had your full attention. Her assistant interrupted three times saying, your next person is here. And she said, I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. Tell them to please wait. I'm, she was just fully present with me. And how you know really interested in the sex trafficking issue as everyone is in Washington D.C. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Good. So it's hitting. It's it's becoming. People are paying attention. It's, yeah. It's this on- is their fourth. Um, this is their fourth year of doing the like what, what I was a part of. So there became a bill, anti-trafficking bill in 2020. The White House. This is their fourth year. They just established a few weeks ago. A survival council, and this is what you were asked. And to so be on? I was asked to be on this, so I will have the opportunity to go back on a regular basis and participate in what? Yeah, oh. yeah. 
Um, so this was not a one-hit wonder. This, this is was, an oh, yeah. odd. I mean, this you is... you've been you've been given a seat at the table and been asked, excuse me, to not just be seen and not heard. Well, so um, they're very clear that the 29th we had a conference call. There were 53 different people on the conference call with the White House talking about sex trafficking and child pornography. It's a it's way where I knew it was really, really, really bad. It's even worse than I had imagined. And then the morning I met with um, Senator Collins and then I'm going to the White House. They want you to start the process a half an hour early just to get through all the security measures. So um, I made a mistake on my on my um, application. It has to be perfect. There can't be one letter missing. It has to be absolute or they will not let you in the building. And I accidentally said I was born in um, uh, um, 1965 instead of 1964. I I just made a mistake. I w- I like went through it three times because they said if you make a mistake, you will not be allowed in the White House, girl. I mean, no. Ty- and they say no typos. Going through security, it's not exact. You at you're out of here. So here's 30 people who had no problem going through security. They did everything right. And here I am, the only survivor, and I screw up. And uh, Giovanna, they were fantastic. They were like, we'll fix that. So they pull up my application. They fix it. They send it back down to security. Security is, you know, very serious with the machine guns. And so <laughs> so, so I walked I walked That's in. Funny. I walked in. Five minutes, I was escorted into the Roosevelt Room. By the way, the Roosevelt Room in the White House, um, the door to the right of the fireplace leads you into the Oval Office. I mean, I am in the West Wing yeah, you're, of the yeah, White House. you're there. So they escort me in, and everybody's sitting there, and it's this long, dark um, conference table, beautiful room, an American flag, and all these people with these placemats, um, you know, like your name, where you're going to sit. And I was... Um, energetically, you want to be right in the middle, and I was. So I was right there, and next to the person who works, who um, answers directly to the president of the United States on human trafficking, and then all these other people were different um, advocates who do national and international work around trafficking and and child prevention, who had a lot to say about the refugee camps and stuff. Awful, awful, awful. So they're all sharing. Now, I'm saying this because as a woman, normally my inner dialogue would have been, you screwed up. Look, you're not worthy. to. You can't even fill out the damn application. How are you going to share anything of value when you can't even fill the damn application right? Um, everybody else did it okay. You were unworthy to be at this table. And I would have, I would have punished, I would have done a self-imposed punishment by not allowing myself to talk because who am I? I just disrespected every person in that room by not doing my part correctly and by entering that meeting five minutes late. I would have sat in my chair and probably would have sat not on the table. I would have taken a chair against um, the the wall instead of my place at the table. Yeah. Um, you took your place at the table. But I took my place at the table and I'm like, you have one opportunity, right? Because they hadn't asked me for anything at this point. You have one opportunity to represent the, the hundreds of thousands of people who've been sexually abused. You have an obligation to prevent 
anymore. The children today deserve to have a childhood unstained by molestation and all the domino effect that falls after it. You put your own crap away, sit in this seat, and tell them what your recommendations are. And so... I did. and Or I would have apologized. Like, I yeah. didn't apologize. Good. I sat there, and when it was my turn to give my recommendations, I looked in the eyes of every single one of those 30 people at that table and said, here is what I believe needs to be done nationally on this issue. And then I shut up, and then at the end, all the uh, people were, like, um, networking, you know, like a BNI meating. <laughs> They're all networking. Um, and I turned to the two White House employees and said, I want to do more. How can I be of service? I really love education and prevention. What can I do? Please know that I'm at your service. So I asked for what I wanted. And the one woman said, um, I've already written you an email in my imagination. Um, you will be receiving an email. Look for me. We would love to have you on our survival council moving forward. And um, it was you did a wonderful job, loved what you had to share. And then other people said, you know, thank you. You really shared great stuff. And I let go of all my negative stuff. And then when I went outside, um, they were doing pictures, and I made my, made my way um, out of, and they escort you quickly. Take pictures here. Walk down these stairs. Take a picture here. Okay, bye. Don't let the door hit you in the butt. Bye. <laughs> and when I went out, my husband was there waiting for me at the gate. And I had had, you know, little kitten heels, not a high heel, but a, just a, you know, an elegant heel. And and he had my sneakers because we had to walk. <laughs> yeah. He had my sneakers. Charlie doesn't do stuff like that. He had my sneakers there so I would be comfortable walking back to the hotel. That's fair. You know, that's like, a, so there you go. That's such a so so much has happened and where this has been uh it's been a phenomenal conversation. We're gonna have to start to wrap things up, uh, which I hate to do. I could go on and yep. on with you for probably like Tanner, like, can we just stay till cocktails tonight? Right. <laughs> Right. I'm sorry. I no, get... this is great. No, I, it's, this is wonderful. The, don't, don't. Uh, you, I know. I did you I just said apologize? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't Daughters of change, didn't. no apologies necessarily. I love her. There were some really great lessons for Daughters of Change in this entire podcast, but particularly that last story. You did not apologize for being who you were, for a mistake that anybody could have made. You took your seat at the table. You spoke your truth and looked everybody in the eye. I mean, mm -hmm. you, and you asked for what you wanted for at mm -hmm. the end mm -hmm. and you got that. Mm -hmm. So you now have a seat at the table and we need more daughters of change with seats at the table. Mm -hmm. So kudos to you. Thank you. So I want to, uh, obviously there are a lot of ways that people can connect and support you, whether it's through donations or speaking engagements, paid speaking engagements for 2020. Um, we are going to make sure, Catherine, that all of that information is in the show notes. But do you want to just quickly give us your your website? We can say it out loud and then we'll make sure it's in there. Yeah. Uh, StopTraffickingUS.org is the website. And the goal for 2020 is to, we have a new board member who's with the PR firm. Mm -hmm. So I need to get on the circuit to be a paid speaker at the conferences that they have. That is definitely a goal. 
The other thing is to get every faith-based organization across the state of Maine to update their policies and procedures around how to keep kids safe in their building. Um, that was sort of the charge that Victor Veith gave us. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that is huge. And then, of course, um, the using our own hometown heroes to do short educational educational videos for our community. So those are the three. Uh, tasks at hand. And those are three things that you could use help and support with in whatever way, whether it's connections, somebody that wants to volunteer, somebody that knows somebody. uh, Interns. interns. I could could use some interns. Okay. So that's great too. So intern opportunities, which are huge. This is a great thing to put on your resume, young people, right? So stoptraffickingus.org. And through there, they can connect with you directly. Absolutely. Now, you also have, let's just quickly, because you're very active on social media. So yep. you have your Catherine and Wilson. That's my personal page. Those personal are usually sunrises, sunrises and, and doggy videos. Okay. And, and then, then Stop Trafficking US. Yeah, that's, and so I'm I'm on, um, Stop Trafficking US is on um, Instagram, it's on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Okay. So people can find you and we'll make oh, yeah. sure that that's in the show notes. So Catherine, before we sign off, any final words? Be the change. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Daughters of Change podcast. To learn more about today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can visit daughtersofchange.com forward slash podcast. You can connect with Daughters of Change on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching those platforms for Daughters of Change. If you are a daughter of change yourself and would like to appear on the show, send me an email at marie at daughtersofchange.com. Thanks again for taking the time to listen today. Take care.